At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, listeners, hello and welcome to another outstanding episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I've got a great guest for you today, and we're going to have an outstanding discussion coming up around uh, franchising, Uh, but my guest today is John Austinson. John, thanks for being on the podcast. Absolutely. No, appreciate you having me, Earl. I love the show and looking forward to a great conversation. I cannot wait. And listeners, before we kind of get into that piece of it, uh, what you need to know about John is he is the foremost expert on non-food franchising. Having experience as an Inc. 500 franchiser, a multi-brand franchisee, a franchise investor, author, and consultant, John has a passion for educating and supporting others as they explore business ownership opportunities. And I'm really interested because I've only had a couple of folks on here before kind of talking about franchising, and they were mostly talking about food. Um, But with your background and your perspective, when you hear responsible leadership, what does that mean and what does that look like to you? Yeah, you know, really across all facets of my life, I strive to lead with stewardship. You know, that that's an important piece of uh, who I am. And I believe that to whom much is given, much is expected. And to whom a little is given, a lot is still expected as well. And, and I believe that especially when you're taking care of people and their livelihoods uh, in the workplace or whether it be through a nonprofit and uh, they're given of their time, you know, how you handle the resources and their time that they give to you is is absolutely vital. So look to steward my teams, look to steward my family, and uh, look to steward myself. Mm. No, I like that. That's a great perspective on that. And and I, I would imagine that that outlook is pretty critical to successful franchising, isn't it? 
Absolutely. No, I, you know, I get the opportunity to introduce clients to a variety of different, um, you know, businesses that they can step into. And I always make sure they've got everything they need before they make that decision. And they've talked to other franchise owners in the system. They've got all their questions answered, um, you know, that they've done their due diligence with a good franchise attorney and, and really setting them up for success. So I uh, definitely steward that opportunity that they've given me to, uh, to guide them. Yeah. Let's let's talk about that piece there a little bit because uh, you know I think most of the time when people think about franchises you know they think the, the golden arches probably pop into their head first <laughs> and foremost that's the franchise uh, but you, you said specifically non food franchising which may be you know a concept that not a lot of people are familiar with even being available so what are what are some uh, examples of non food franchises that that people can get into. Absolutely. And no, I taking a different approach and we've niched down, you know, there are roughly 4,000 franchise brands across North America and, you know, give or take roughly half of those are in the food space. That is a large segment and a lot of people associate franchising with fast food. However, there's so many other industries on that other half. And a lot of what we do is getting out there and educating and helping our clients understand the types of businesses they can step into. And what I found is 95% of my clients want businesses outside of food. And, and of course, my background is non-food uh, franchising. And so I've kind of coined a term out there that's really resonated, uh, you know, for a lot of would-be uh, business owners or, or some that are existing business owners looking to add to that portfolio. Um, so, you know, from a broad standpoint, I'd say categorically home and property services are big piece, uh, big industry that we work in, $600 billion industry. Uh, we work in automotive and health and wellness and fitness. Um, you know, anything related to the aging population or, or kids or pets, you know, things, any businesses that touch on those categories, people care about and they're willing to spend. And, you know, no matter what the economy is, you know, people are still going to get their clothes washed at the laundromat. They're still going to, uh, you know, take care of their, their yard. They're, um, you know, still going to need insulation in their homes. Um, you know, and I, I kind of joke that, you know, that the non-sexy industries are the new sexy, you know, whether it be roll-off dumpsters or the serve pro type models, you know, those businesses that Amazon's never going to disrupt. And, you know, in a lot of cases, the pandemic can't disrupt. And, um, you know, and so I think that, and that's where people have been gravitating. And the exciting thing, Earl, is, you know, if you're an American, you should feel really good knowing that there's an entrepreneurial spirit live and well today. And now I'm fortunate to get kind of a front row seat having conversations with clients across across the country every day. But I really think that COVID's caused a lot of people to, to question the path they've been on and say, maybe now's the time to scratch that entrepreneurial itch and, and, and you know, make the jump into business ownership. Yeah, well, no, and I think that is a great, uh, a great segue into a question that's kind of been on my mind. And, you know, I've talked about it kind of tangentially, if you will, with a, a couple of guests on here. But, you know, talking about employee engagement and, and obviously talking about this great resignation. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm really kind of curious, like, as you mentioned, there's, there's a lot of different opportunities that pop up, a lot uh, the entrepreneurial spirit's alive and well. How much do you believe that that is playing into this, this great resignation, that people are just saying, hey, you know, I'm not really so much into the nine to five job. I don't feel fulfilled. Uh, I think I'm going to try my hand at being an entrepreneur and, and kind of buy into a franchise. You know, year to date, we've done deals with those in their 20s all the way through their 60s. So it covers a wide, wide range of the population. And, you know, the recurring themes that I hear are, 
hey, I'm tired of building someone else's empire. I'm ready to build my own. I, I'm, I, you know, I've been grinding for a number of years, and now I'm ready to, you know, do something that gets me excited. And you know, coming out of COVID, I think you know we, we do have we I'd say two thirds of our deals now are for businesses that don't require a physical location, you know, customer facing location. So you do see some trends like that, but um, you know, that's definitely a dynamic. I mean, the great resignation live and well, I see it firsthand every day. You also have the macro tailwind of, you know, record levels of cash on the sidelines. And, you know, right now when, you know, it's, it's a first world problem, but you know, when you look at the options, the stock market's at an all time high, interest rates are low. Um, Yeah. Though they're, though they're starting to creep up, uh, you know, only so many good real estate deals to be had. And so people are saying, where do we invest? And they're starting to wise up to the fact that, hey, if I'm a business owner, even if I do it on the side through what we could call semi-passive or semi-absentee uh, opportunities, you know, you're able to build the cash flow. You're able to, uh, you know, write off expenses you couldn't as a W-2 employee. And then you're also building an asset uh, that's going to have exit value down the road. And, uh, you know, we certainly hit on that in more detail. Yeah. Well, no, I think those are a lot of great things uh, to, to consider. And especially with you, you mentioned the, the, you know, the excess cash on hand uh, just because, you know, a lot of factors there with the, 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 uh, the, the money that was given out during COVID and we didn't really have a lot of stuff to spend our money on for the past couple of years. Everything was shut down. Um, it, it, it's, it, it's a good question. Uh, that I'm curious to hear the answer to, like, even though these things are true, I think a lot of people think of a franchise as being, you know, cost prohibitive. Like it's going to cost me, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to get a franchise up and running. And it's a huge risk and it's going to put my family's stability uh, at jeopardy because, you know, I've been working at this company for 20 years. And, you know, these are all things that factor in. But but how much truth is there to, you know, it being a cross prohibitive and the barrier of entry to being a franchise Mm -hmm. owner? Uh, is something that puts people out of it. How much truth is there to that thought process? Yeah, yeah, no, great question. And I'll start off by saying, you know, of all the clients that we've helped to get into business ownership, there's only one so far that has not that it hasn't worked out for. And um, you know, there was a good reason he bought into a mosquito franchise three hours outside of Nashville, and it was a business that he could have stuck with it. But about three or four months in, he said, "Hey, living outside the market, this is just too much work to, um, you know, for for essentially what I see as the potential profit with it." And I think for him, if he had friends and family putting out yard signs, getting the grassroots movement, you know, that would have helped in a business like that. Uh, but he kind of threw in the towel after three or four months. But you know, outside of that, we've had clients, I mean, just coming back, buying additional brands, building on that portfolio or coming back, buying additional locations within the first year. I mean, that's incredibly common across our client base. Um, so, you know, anything you do in life, is, is going to have a risk. I mean, if you're working for someone else in a W-2, I mean, to me, that seems risky, you know, and, and I've been there. I, I've, I've, you know, done the corporate thing in the, in, your, in my previous life. Um, so, no, there's, there's risk inherent anywhere, but when you look at the success rate of franchises versus starting your own business, um, you know, you're, you're starting on a third base instead of first base and you have that proven market fit that, you know, you follow the playbook, um, you know, and, and it, we, we can get into more detail around that, but circling back on the financial piece, you know, we work with businesses of all different magnitudes from a cost entry standpoint. I'd say about 75% of our deals that we do with our clients are between 125000 and two fifty. Uh, so that kind of gives you a good ballpark feel of, of what you're looking at. And that would be all in, that would include working capital, that would 
include you know all your startup costs as well. Um, and what we see are different ways of funding that business. So, uh, you know, with the cash on the sidelines, about one third of our clients are self-funding the, the purchase. Um, another third are using SBA loans. You know, those are very common. Banks love franchising, again, because they're very predictable and the success rate is so high. Uh, so we, we do a lot of SBA loans. You know, they're, they're special programs for veterans, oftentimes where you get a discount or you get some preferential preferential terms within the SBA. And then another third of our clients we, would be across a few different things. One would be uh, using your retirement funds through a self-directed manner, whether it be IRA or 401k. We can set up what's called a ROBS program and use those funds to purchase a, a franchise um, or a portfolio loan or a HELOC. So there are a few different flavors of ways to get capital. And uh, you know, the good thing is, Again, interest rates are starting to creep up a little bit, but still from a historical standpoint, uh, business lending rates are at a very low uh, rate versus where they've been in the past. Yeah, that, that interest rate piece, right? It's, it's um, you know, I, I don't know historically what they've been in, in this arena, but, you know, everybody always talks about mortgage rates and, you know, everybody's kind of freaking out that it's above 4% now and <laughs> creeping up towards 5 It's like, you know, I think people forget it wasn't that many years ago, like if you could get a 5% interest rate, you were top tier. Uh, and it's just amazing how that perspective changes so mm -hmm. quick, isn't it? Absolutely. No, I, I follow that stuff probably a little bit too closely and, <laughs> you know, kind of wish the government didn't have such a big hand in some of the, uh, the, the sways in the market, but, um, you know, but we make do with what we have. There you go. Well, you, you mentioned like with SBA loans, uh, small business association loans, uh, that are administration loans that, uh, you know, there's some programs for, uh, for veterans, but I'm kind of curious, like on, on the, the, the franchise, uh, the franchisor side of it, uh, are there any franchises out there that, that offer some of those benefits to veterans? Cause I've, I've got a large, mm -hmm. you know, veteran, uh, viewership, uh, but I'm just kind of curious, are there any, any franchises that kind of cater to or offer benefits to veterans? I should say. Absolutely. And, you know, it's all relative, but uh, most franchise brands that we work with do provide a veterans discount. And, you know, that may be 15% off the franchise fee or 10% off. Um, but no, by and large, franchising is a very, very supportive group of our veterans. And, you know, we appreciate their service. And, you know, that's shown, you know, you do have a lot of recruitment activities around bringing veterans into business ownership through franchising. And, you know, what we found is it's, it's just a great match because here you've got hardworking, disciplined uh, backgrounds where they've, you know, you know, followed a playbook in a sense, you know, very similar to what you would do in a franchise. And, you know, when I was the franchisor at Shelf Genie and I had our, you know, I was supporting all of our franchise owners across the country, you know, the, the ones that were the top performers were the ones that followed the system and didn't try to go outside the lines and get too creative. And now we love for our franchisees to test different marketing vehicles or different ideas, um, you know, different employee bases. But ultimately, our best performers were always those that followed the system pretty close. And, uh, you know, obviously veterans, you know, know how to do that. And uh, so no... Franchising loves our veterans and uh, very, very supportive. Oh, that's good. That's good to hear. Because, yeah, you're right. You know, um, that, that was what we did in the Marines, right? They gave us a, a we call it SOP, Standard Operating Procedures, and mm -hmm. we did that. And and there was success, you know. Um, but I, I think that's a, a thing that that maybe some people looking to, to buy a franchise, they have this idea that, you know, 
it's kind of a done deal, right? I, I pony up this money, I buy into the system, uh, it's going to turn the key, instant money flowing into my bank account, and it doesn't work quite that easy, does it? Oh, no, of course it does. That's exactly how it works. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, no, I, I like that I, answer. I'm, I'm very transparent with my clients. Hey, if we think it's, if you're looking at semi-absentee opportunity, you're going to put a general manager in place from day one, you know, what could go wrong? Well, it could be the wrong fit with the general manager. You may have to lean in a little bit more. If you think it's going to take 10 hours a week out of the gate, it's probably going to take 15. If, if you're going full-time as an owner-operator, which about half of our clients are, you know, if you think it's going to take 40 hours, it's probably going to take at least 50, you know, in the early going. So nothing's easy, but once you get that system in place, you know, there are a lot of types of businesses that can kind of be pseudo autopilot. I mean, any business where you're dealing with personnel, I mean, you talk about this on your podcast all the time, um, you know, you're going to have situations that you deal with. But, you know, the nice thing with franchising, I remember at Shelf Genie, when we'd have um, candidates go through our process, at, at the end of the day, they would say, you know, wait a minute, what, what are we supposed to do day in, day out? You know, you guys are making the phones ring with your marketing, you're answering the phones with your call center, you've got all the technology that you're supporting for us, uh, you know, you've trained us. And our answer inevitably was, you know, get involved in that local market, you know, whether it be Chamber of Commerce or sponsor the Little League baseball team, you know, do some of those grassroots things. And then ultimately your main responsibility is on the people side. So it's hiring talent, being able to retain and incentivize them and making tough calls when needed. And so the franchise owners that did that the best that could work with people, understand people both internally as well as on the customer side, those were our top performers. Yeah. Well, no, you kind of touched on what kind of, as we're going through this process, what my next question was, uh, was cooking in my brain there was going to be is, is how valuable is quality, responsible leadership to being a successful franchise owner? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's recognizing that you don't always need to be the smartest guy in the room. You do have a franchisor that's done it before you. They serve kind of as a coach on the sidelines. You know, you've got other franchise owners across the, the country that you can learn from and share best practices with and you know, share, share what you're learning, you know, that's working for you. Um, you know, you've got the playbook, but then ultimately it comes down to you know, managing people. And, you know, a common thread that I hear out there today, you know, from my clients is, hey, what, what can deliver us the highest return on investment, fewest number of employees? Now, to a degree, I think that's always been the case. But, um, you know, we do have some models that, you know, you may not require employees if you're going to run it yourself. Or maybe it's a very small team. Or in turn, we have some that, you know, much larger teams and, and it's more of a people business. So, um, you know, it comes in all different forms. But, you no, know, being able to work with people, whether it be internally with employees, whether it be referral partners, whether it be customers or working with the franchise or, uh, you know, that people leadership piece is huge, huge. Absolutely. Love it. Love it. So. And, and since we've been talking about veterans here and obviously, you know, franchising and, and those opportunities aren't just exclusive to veterans. So I want people listening to, uh, to, to realize I'm talking about veterans because that's my experience here. But, you know, let's just say somebody, you know, has retired after, you know, 20, 25 years of service. And, um, you know, let's just say they were uh, one of in one of these service based mm -hmm. industries, what you're talking about there. Um, and they're trying to decide, should I hang out my own shingle or should I buy into uh, a franchise uh, business? Like, what are some questions that they should be asking themselves to kind of make that determination? 
Yeah. You, you know, I've got some clients that I have to tell them, hey, you're too entrepreneurial. You know, you, you can't stay within the lines. This is not the right fit. However, what I found is the vast majority love the fact that there is a playbook, that there is support, that they're in business for themselves, but not by themselves. Um, you know, they love being able to get out of the gate faster. They, they know how to become profitable from day one. They're not questioning, can this business become profitable? They just need to go out and execute. So, um, you know, if I just give, ex- I, I mean, I could rattle off examples of recent deals we did that, that, that might be helpful. I mean, we just had a Wall Street attorney outside of Boston buy a gutter business. You know, he had no background in that, but he put his business owner hat on. And, and we've actually done three deals with that same gutter business in the past two months. Just a great financial model on it. Um, you know, we've, uh, you know, I recently had a client. Uh, she's a PhD at the University of Arkansas, and she bought a fitness business on the side. She's running it. Uh, you know, it's not her main thing, um, but it's a business that caters to um, those 50 and above, you know, which are largely underserved when it comes to the big box gyms of the world and just has great technology associated with it. You can get in and out for a 30 minute workout. Um, you know, just had a client buy a property management franchise that complemented his real estate business. And I'd say about two thirds of our clients do have real estate investments too. So it's not an either or, oftentimes it's an all the above. And, you know, there are a lot of businesses that complement that. Um, you know, I've got a client that's expanding his roll off dumpster business down in South Carolina. Um, I've got another client that I, I love this case study. He's, he's only 39 years old and he's, built a, uh, you know, the, the largest, become the largest franchisee of two minute truck moving service, operates in about 10 markets, $30 million business. Well, he started building out this portfolio of businesses on the side where he really has almost no involvement in the business other than some initial coaching and such. But he puts these young 20 something guys over the businesses, incentivizes them and then says, you know, go make us proud. And every we've done he's come back and bought additional locations uh, within the first 12 months and that's actually a model that my partners and i employ i mean we're, we're franchisees ourselves of a few different brands we've got a great driveway company uh, that we keep expanding a few other uh, services businesses you know and we've got a young gm 27 years old he was a cpa for the past five years he said hey get me out of this uh out of the four wall environment, I'm ready to get out there and, you know, and, and build something. So, um, yeah, th- those are just a couple of examples. We recently had some clients buy uh, 10 units of an oil change business. Now, we all hear about electric vehicles, you know, it, but still 15 years from now, less than 10% of cars on the road will be electric. And, you know, so there's still a long runway for this industry. And, you know, this is a model where you can get in for as low as 125 to 150 per location because they use prefabricated kiosk backed by an investor group to go in unused parking spaces of a retailer shopping center. So it's this great model just hits on a lot of things that customers are looking for from a convenience standpoint. Um, so there are a lot of innovative businesses out there. Many of them are understandable, but they're bringing just a little different approach to maybe a fragmented market, uh, bringing that white collar approach oftentimes to a blue collar industry or coming in with some disruptive technology. So, um, you know, 90% of our clients end up purchasing something that was never on their radar to begin with. And that's what makes our job a lot of fun. Huh. No, that is interesting. Like, and hearing some of those examples was was very helpful because, you know, some of those, I, you know, I've seen two men in a truck around everywhere and, and uh, all that sort of stuff. But, you know, some of them had no clue about. Um, but but yeah, it's, it's very interesting to see that that uh, getting out of your comfort zone, if you will, 
with, with these opportunities. And, and I like that idea because I like the fact of people, you know, kind of growing and, and stretching out and, and finding areas where, you know, they can make a difference and, and enjoy. Um, I guess kind of the flip side to that question is, is, you know, so what if I've got a successful business uh, that I'm looking to turn into a franchise? Like how, how difficult is it to, to build out a sellable franchise? Yeah, no, we, I've got quite a few examples of companies. So I don't take companies through the process, but I've got some great partners that do and some great resources. So I'm always happy to talk to any business owners that are thinking about potentially franchising. And I'll give you the full uh, Hollywood story, you know, the good, the bad, the, you know, I, I mean, from an exit standpoint, private equity loves franchising. So if you're building towards an exit, it's a great strategy. Um, you're also using other people's money. They also have skin in the game, they know their local market. So there are a lot of positives. On the flip side, you'll wake up one day and uh, realize you've got kids all around the country with expectations of you. And um, so it does change your day to day from a support standpoint. Um, but it's a great way for a lot of businesses to scale. Um, we see so many companies right now that are franchising themselves and getting out there and they see the opportunity and you know it makes it exciting because all these great models are coming down many of which have never been represented within franchising before you know bringing new sectors to the mix um so for those that have a business that are thinking about franchising you know and again i'm more than happy to chat about you know, is your business franchisable or not um you know but you need to have a good profit model you know kept your books and be able to show hey this is an attractive proposition that someone else is actually going to want to buy into um you know obviously if you're multiple locations or have some case studies you know outside of just your headquarters you know that just helps validate uh further uh, you know if you have just one location it is doable but i'd say you you know need to have some uniques and some barriers to entry or, you know, differentiators out there in the market. Um, but the resources that, that we point people to, they'll take folks end to end, you know, from the point of, hey, how do we want to strategize building out the FDD, working with the attorneys on that, um, which is the franchise disclosure document that every franchise has, um, you know, putting together operations and training manual, marketing collateral, everything you need to go out and start selling franchises. And they can even help you on the sales side if you need. But I'd say, you know, full, fully all in for that turnkey kind of end to end support. You're kind of looking at the forty to fifty thousand dollar ballpark, um, which I think is a, a value when they throw everything in. Uh, but that just gives you kind of a gauge of what it looks like. Okay, no, that's 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 good information. I really appreciate that. There, I want to kind of go back to something you said earlier. Um, you mentioned something about a lot of of real estate investors kind of looking at at franchise opportunities. Um, is there, is there a reason for that? I mean, I know, uh, you know, again, talking about fast food, everybody, you know, kind of knows the, the thing about McDonald's being one of the largest, uh, you know, real estate uh, companies in the world because of how they do their thing. Is, is it a little bit of that same kind of model or is there another reason why real estate and franchising go hand in hand? I think it's a little more of the mentality. I think it's that desire to have passive streams of income or semi-passive, you know, where, um, you know, in some cases, my clients are full-time real estate investors. In a lot of cases, they may have a W-2 job and they've started buying single family homes on the side and they say, hey, what else can produce the cash flow for me that maybe helps me diversify? Or, you know, we've had rises in housing costs, you know, in per prices, they say, hey, I don't see the deals I used to see, where else can I invest? And so in some cases, like, uh, you know, the real estate broker that, that recently bought a uh, property management company that complements, you know, his current business, uh, you know, that's one example. But I've had 
clients buy into renovation businesses where they've got some background or you know, if someone knows all the real estate agents in town and that's a good lead source for a business that does XYZ with the homes or they know all the builders in town, you know, if you can get a running start from those referrals, that's huge. Um, in some cases, it's, it is a real estate play, kind of like you mentioned with the McDonald's where it's, hey, you know, I, I, I want to buy a strip center or, you know, some standalone property, you know, do, do a build up where, you know, we can put tenants in there, preferably, you know, franchise tenants that they can get revenue streams off of. So there are different plays. I mean, we've got one model right now that we're working with that's pretty exciting. That's a patented technology around junk hauling as well as a brand that complements it. It's kind of a sister brand that does uh, concierge and valet trash removal for multifamily. So, uh, you know, they lock in these three and five year contracts and they do all the trash hauling for um, apartments and condos. Um, and then of course you have people always moving out. So they're tossing their couches and furniture. And so they bring in the sister company to you know take care of all that, all the junk hauling. And so you see some interesting models out there. Uh, you know, around, I mentioned the roll-off dumpsters. I mean, obviously, if you know the contractors in town, that that's a great business to be in. Yeah. So you've sold me, right? Franchising is is a great uh, a great opportunity. Uh, I've I've went out. I've I've picked my my sector. I've got my finances in order. I'm ready to to sign the dotted line. Uh, what? What type of support and because uh, you, you talked about some of this, you know, the systems piece of franchise. What type of support can I expect for, for my franchisor? Yeah, so the, they'll provide you with extensive training there at the beginning. And anytime that you want to go back for a refresher training, they'll take you through that. If you want to send a general manager up there, you know, for, for training, they'll train them. Um, but so it's all of what's needed they have a lot of checklist of here's all the things you want to get in place, you know, to be able to go start. And here's what our rollout marketing package looks like. And typically they have a marketing team that will help you, you know, and do most of that work for you. Um, and so most franchisors this day and age have a strong in-house marketing team, maybe a preferred marketing vendor that, that complements that. In some cases, they may have a call center internally that, that supports you. Uh, they've got a small technology team that, you know, has all the customized technology ready for you. Uh, and then they support you ongoing there. In some cases, you are bulk buying through that franchisor and they're able to leverage their buy power you know if it's a business that has inventory or you know there's a great company we work with right now it's a fencing business well they do all the manufacturing in-house the franchisor does and then they're able to sell it at 20 to 30 percent below market rates to all of the um to the franchisees um they in that case they've also lined up national accounts with home depot and lowe's that are great lead sources, constantly feeding leads to their franchise owners. So, you know, depending on the franchise system, you know, the support will look different. I mean, that's something that we grill them on, you know, as we go through the process, you know, want to make sure my candidates really feel like, you know, for that five to 8% royalty, five to 8% of revenue that they're paying back to the franchisor, want to make sure that franchisor is providing that value uh, to them. So uh, whether it be bulk buying, whether it be, you know, the, the hands-on training or the ongoing support, uh, you also want that franchisor to be innovative, um, you know, to be coming up with new solutions, new products, new uh, services that you can uh, pull into your offering as well. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a little bit already about the role that leadership plays in this and, and the success, but I'm kind of curious, um, you know, let's just say I'm not somebody who has ever you know, led a team before and, and that piece is new to me. Do 
is that part of the the franchisor support? Do they have any type of leadership development training as part of this, or or are franchisees kind of expected to go seek that out on their own? Yeah, you, you know, it, it varies. Some certainly have that built in. Some would have you know recommend coaching. Um, I actually had a client just uh, in your neck of the woods up in Indianapolis buy a business coaching franchise recently. Um, so if anyone needs that coaching help, I'd be happy to point you uh, point you to him. Um, but no, it varies across the franchise systems. You know, we, we used to always bring in great leadership development speakers and we would lead workshops for our franchisees. And I, I'd say that is fairly common, but you know, I think you'll probably want to get some additional leadership training outside as well. Um, you know, if you haven't led people before, um, you know, there are businesses out there, you know, there's a cost analyst business where you're helping reduce expenses for small and medium sized businesses. You can run that business by yourself. You don't need employees. And so, you know, I, I encourage people, what are those experiences you've had in your background? You know, that those skill sets that regardless of industry, you can bring to the table and, uh, you know, let's play to your strengths. Let's delegate or outsource uh, those areas you're, you're less experienced in and, um, you know, and, and over time, it's very, very common that even if you step in as owner operator, over time, as you start building and expanding territories, and maybe you want to go bring in concept number two, you know, you put a manager in place, and you start pulling yourself out of the day to day and out of the weeds. And, you know, you're able to play to your strengths, you know, maybe that's getting out there doing networking and building partnerships, or, or maybe it's more on the back end. Um, you know, there's just a lot of different roles that you can play. And you kind of pick your spot and then again, delegate the rest. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I like that answer there. And I, I have a, you mentioned the kind of the flexibility and the, and the innovation. And uh, I'm going to share a story with you here. It is a f- uh, food re- franchise related story, but I'm kind of curious how it, it plays out with some of these other service industries that we're talking about here. So um, a few years back, I lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, just so happened in the apartment we we're living in, uh, the people who bought the the franchise rights to to the Albuquerque and Santa Fe region for uh, five guys, um, they lived below us. They they rented an apartment below us. And I got to chatting with him, and he ran into this issue. It was it was if anybody knows anything about Albuquerque, they'll get this. If you haven't been to Albuquerque, it's not probably going to make much sense. But you know, it's five guys, burgers and fries, and they open up their first store, and it did terrible like the, the, the first few weeks it did absolutely terrible and you know it's chatting with him asked him how things were going he goes i don't get it he goes people come in they look at the menu they seem all excited and then they turn around and they walk back out the door and uh i said all right well let me i'm going to come over here and, and kind of take a look and i looked at the menu and they didn't offer green chilies as a topping and if you know anything about New Mexico, like green chilies, <laughs> like if you can't get green chilies, it, you may as well not be open. And I'm, I'm talking to him like, you've got to get green chilies on your menu. He's like, they won't let me. And I'm like, uh, well, I'm sorry you wasted your money, <laughs> you know. And he was finally able to have discussions with them and say, look, this is a regional thing. I know you want mm-hmm. uniformity on your menu. And they finally granted him an exception. Um but I'm just kind of curious, like, are, are, are these types of franchises that restrictive? And is it that difficult to kind of make some of those regional changes? Or are they a little bit more free form and free flowing? 
Yeah, definitely err on the side of free form and free flow. I, I think some of those massive food brands, again, that's an area that we, we kind of stay away from. You know, they, they do operate a little bit differently and, uh, you know, they codify things differently. But yeah, those are the questions we want to ask the franchise or through the process before we sign to, to understand, you know, how much flexibility do I have? Here's some things, you know, that just hypotheticals put them out there. How would you handle a situation like this? And, you know, Again, we have vetted these franchise businesses and we represent several hundred of them. And, you know, we, we pick the ones with the good leadership teams, the ones that know how to support franchise owners that have a history of doing that. Um, you know, if they're more of an industry experienced person, we want to see that they brought on franchise expertise around them um, that understand that dynamic. So, you know, ultimately, I think back to my days at, at Shelf Genie, you know, we had franchisees that brought ideas. Some of those ideas were great. And we said, let's go, let's go test them. Or, you know, at times we said, that's a really bad idea, but if you really want to go try it, go for it. And so we, we were pretty flexible and that's been my experience on the franchisee side as well. So I'd say definitely air more on that side. And, uh, you know, I'd say the bounds, the, the, the lines you have to stay between are, are pretty wide in most cases. Yeah, no, that, that's good to hear. That's really good to hear. And again, you know, it, it's not a knock on five guys. They have their system and, and those are just those little regional nuances. So, you know, I, I kind of get why they were the way they were about it. But um, kind of the bookend question to a lot of this is, so, um, you know, what happens if I'm in a franchise? Again, let's say it's a HVAC franchise mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I love it. But I find out, you know, after a few years of being in it that I do have some ideas that don't jive. Um, how easy is it to, to to make the opposite transition to maybe exit out of a franchise and go solo? Yeah, no, it's, it's very easy to well, I say it's very easy. In theory, it's very easy to exit. I mean, you have multiple avenues. You know, typically, you know, I would talk with the franchisor, and chances are they've had a lot of candidates along the way that have been interested in the business for that territory, but it's sold. So, you know, they've had to turn them away. So, but they probably still have their information. So, that's a great point to start with. Um, you know, we, one of our businesses is a driveway business. We recently acquired two other franchisees that were adjacent to us. Um, you know, they, they were open to selling. We wanted to buy them. Uh, so that's a natural exit strategy as well. Of course, you can go to the open market, biz by sell, or work with brokers to, uh, to sell as well. So, you know, you definitely have some options there. Um, you know, if you're looking to stay within that same industry with the startup of your next business, you might have to kind of thread the needle a little bit with the franchise around that. Um, you know, there is a secret sauce within the franchise and they wouldn't want you taking that. And then just, you know, I mean, you're signing NDAs, you know, along with, uh, you know, non-competes. There might be a period of time that, um, you know, if it's a true doing the exact same thing, it's not, you know, in a different industry, um, you might have to jump through a few hurdles there with the franchisor, but, um, but definitely a possibility. And I mean, we handle exits all the time and, and I forget if I mentioned this to you prior, prior Earl, but there was a study done. They looked at 2,000 businesses across a 10-year period, businesses that had, had exits across a variety of different industries. And they looked at food franchise, or I'm sorry, at uh, non-franchise businesses versus franchise. And what they found were the franchise businesses actually traded at an exit multiple of one and a half times non-franchised. And so there is a value seen in that potential buyer down the road, um, it, there's something about franchising that does it appeals to them by and large as well. 
Yeah. Well, that's good to that, that's good to know because you know I've uh, again I'm not by any stretch any uh, as familiar with this as you are, but I know having talked to some veterans, you know that that's one of their concerns is once I buy the franchise, I you know that that's it. I'm I'm locked in, and it's it's nice to hear you know that's not the 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 case there. I mean. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I can see the value in franchising, like you said, having all the kind of proven systems in place. It makes a lot of sense, and I, I you know, outside of any great uh, difficulties or in relationships with the franchisors, it doesn't. I, I don't see a lot of people exiting out, but you know, there's always a chance, right? Um, so. It's part of the the prep work here for uh, our friends over at Interview Valets, and uh, it mentions that you do a lot of writing for uh, for publications about franchising. What are some of the franchising publications that are out there? So, if anybody who's who's thinking about this, uh, you know, obviously they go by your book, The Franchise Path, but like, where can they find some of these articles to kind of help educate themselves about the process a little better? Yeah, and and I'd say reach out. I'm happy happy to share articles, I and mean, we we've done a good bit in Forbes and the Franchise Journal and uh, Franchise Connect, and uh, you know a lot of one-off smaller publications. And um, no, and then we do a lot of podcasts. You know, we try to get the message out there, and uh, you know, it's just seemed to resonate. We we've got a lot of interest in in business ownership opportunities, especially in the non-food arena. And so you know, we love being able to help people and. You know, great thing about our process is, you know, we, we introduce opportunities to clients. We get to know them. We bring opportunities to them for consideration, ones that we see resonating with other people with similar backgrounds and that, um, you know, that they kind of fit their criteria from a financial standpoint, from a day to day, what role in the business, all of that. And um, we have a lot of fun because 90 percent of our clients end up buying something they n- never had on their radar. And the great thing about our model is it's entirely free. So there's no cost at all to our clients. Uh, we're paid by the franchisors on the back end. None of that gets p- passed on to our clients in any form or fashion. So, uh, you know, it, it's a very consultative partnership that, w- that we enter into versus a salesy process. You know, that that's definitely not the case. Um, so I love what I get to do and, uh, uh, you know, would love to engage. And, and again, if the first step would be, hey, let's share some resources. We'd love to send you some things to kind of get the juices flowing. Um, you know, sign up for our monthly newsletter as well. And uh, we share some great content every month in there. Mm. No, I like that. I like that a lot. Well, John, this has been fantastic conversation here. I mean, you, you've taught me a ton about uh, the franchising world, especially, you know, the non-food franchising world. A lot of stuff that you know, I never even considered uh, about it. Um, but I'm curious, like, is there anything that we really didn't get a chance to, to touch on during this conversation uh, that you want to leave listeners with? Yeah, I think we covered a lot of ground. You know, those were great questions. So you teed up and, uh, you know, I could talk all day about franchising and case studies and you know, examples of clients of mine and what they've done. But, um, you know, we, I think that we've covered a lot of ground here in the past 45 minutes. So appreciate it. Yeah, no, I've loved it. And, and you know, listeners, um, you know, if this is something that you're thinking about, I think you've heard uh, through this conversation, John's expertise has come through extremely well. You know, and I give you a lot of credit for that, John. I'm a big fan of uh, the Albert Einstein quotes is, uh, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. And I, I think it shows how well you understand 
this industry because you've been able to put everything in there in nice, simple terms, uh, broke everything down. And um, I, I can see a lot of people listening to this and getting uh, at least you know a little spark of interest in franchising because you, you very you've done a very good job of making it sound uh, sound appealing. So uh, I really appreciate you breaking it down the way you did. Thank you for that. Absolutely. No, appreciate you saying that and having me on the show. And like I said, you know, next step might just be, let's get some additional information and resources. Happy to send that along. Um, If you'd like to come out, connect with us on our website, uh, sign up for our newsletter. We're releasing a new book in Q3 uh, called Non-Food Franchising. So we'd love to send copies out to anyone that that signs up as well. And then uh, I'd say also connect on LinkedIn. You know, we stay really active out there, put out content usually on a daily basis. And uh, that could be another good resource. Okay. And that's just uh, franbridgeconsulting.com, right? Yeah. And on LinkedIn, we actually go through my personal profile. So connect with me, John Austinson out there, and uh, that's where you'll find the content. Okay. Outstanding. And I'll have the links to those uh, in the show notes. So listeners, uh, you'll be able to go right out there and uh, click on those links and, and get connected. Um you know, John, again, I, I just really appreciate you being a guest on the show. You've given a lot of great uh, insight, a lot of great wisdom on franchise opportunities to, to me and my guests. So just thank you for spending this time with me and my listeners and being a guest on the Responsible Leadership Podcast. No, Earl, I tried to steward the time, circling back to, to what we talked about, about at the beginning. So appreciate you having me on and I look forward to keeping the conversation going. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that... I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Cast. Electric Cast. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric Acid.